All right, everybody, welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. This is episode 146 already, and we are joined today with Matt Hamilton, by Matt, by Matt Hamilton, and with Matt Hamilton, all things Matt Hamilton. And we're going to be talking a little bit about playing ASEC suited out of the blinds, among some other things. But before we do that, just a couple of housekeeping things. We want to thank Running Aces Racetrack and Casino, our official sponsor now since, since the start a few years ago, and the player of the week. At Running Aces, there's four folks that finished uh, in the bonus area. Nate Franklin, Michael Babker, Peter Herr, and Nick Mahmood. Congrats to those guys. They picked up some, some bonus lammers. I know Nate picked up like 145 bucks worth. So that's something worth going after for you guys. If you have a chance to play a bunch of tournaments, get out there, go after that bonus. It's, uh, it's basically a double stack buy-in uh, if you can get that bonus. Uh, a couple high-level announcements. As you know, we tend to do the detailed announcements at the end so we don't bog down the the front of this thing, but a couple things just to keep in mind. Uh, we have gone live with our membership site. We haven't made big, huge public declarations, but you're starting to see that out there. Uh, $9.99 a month, uh, that's what we're selling it for. Great content, opportunities to interact, uh, opportunities to be part of the interviews, great dialogue, great, con great conversations, all kinds of great content out there, be part of the community. Uh, we'll talk more about that at the end, but that is live now. And if you join, you'll get a free month uh, on the front end of that deal. I also want to congrat uh, congratulate, and this one hurts a little bit, but I need to congratulate Taylor Moss. Uh, we had our first uh, monthly home game, our Poker Stars home game. Uh, we had 28 people. So thanks to those of you who joined for that first time. I think it's going to get pretty big. Uh, but Taylor Moss took that tournament down. So congrats to him. Uh, Daniel Kennedy and Tom Herman finished second and third. And they're all going to get a free book. Uh, compliments of Andrew Brokus. Uh, he ponied up three free copies of Playing Optimal Poker, and those three are all getting uh, copies from Andrew. Also, the NFL Survivor Pool is underway. We had 73 people join. Uh, my team, Philadelphia, barely won, thank goodness, which pained me just to root for Philadelphia in the first place as a Viking fan. Uh, but we had seven folks out of the 73 who've been eliminated already. So uh, we'll see how that keeps going. We'll talk a little bit more about that. A couple upcoming things. This Wednesday, we're going to be recording two different things. And uh, until we have our everything on the full membership site, anybody's welcome to join these. So uh, at 6.30 p.m., we're going to have our first uh, book study. So we're going to be studying, actually, Andrew Brokus's Play Optimal Poker at 6.30 till about 7.45. You can join us for that discussion. And then at 8 o'clock, Taylor is going to lead us in some hand history analysis, looking at how do we play against limpers. So those are opportunities for you to actually interact with us, be part of that conversation. And then next Monday, we're going to be interviewing John Sun, who is a two-time MSBT champ, and you can be part of that deal. So go to the website, check out the newsletter, all of that information. Uh, so let's stop with all the logistical stuff. Uh, let's get into the good stuff. Tonight we are joined, uh, we have John Somsky, Chris Jones, and Rob Washam, and myself, Steve Fredland, on the panel. And Matt Hamilton uh, has joined us. So Matt is a wonderful player, just a great guy. I've gotten to know Matt a bit over the years. Just a fantastic guy, fantastic player. Uh, he's done a little bit of training with us. I've been an instructor for one of the play and learns that we did, and people just loved uh, the insight that Matt brought forth. He's got about $275,000 in Hendon Mob earnings and uh, just recently finished seventh at the MSPT Regional for about $8,500. So uh, we're going to start kind of general, then we're going to start digging in deep uh, around this whole idea of playing ASEC suited from the blinds. But first off, Matt, uh, man, welcome. Sorry for the long rambling uh, interlude, but uh, welcome to the show, man. 
No problem. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to uh, have conversations and discuss strategy. I always enjoy any opportunity I get to do something like this. I appreciate you having me on. Well, whenever we can pick your brain, and uh, just a real personal thing, I, Matt was with us out in Vegas for a, a couple of years ago, and uh, I was just struggling, man. I was kind of lost. I, I was talking to Matt because I was just kind of lost uh, during the week. Like, what's going on? I just feel like I'm totally confused on some things. And, you know, we had a great conversation. You kind of resettled my brain a little bit. Uh, and I, I give that, honestly, a lot of credit. Uh, a couple of days later, I ended up binking the, uh, one of the daily deep stacks, the, the 10 o'clock one. And I, I really, it was part of that conversation. And it wasn't, part of it was the strategy. Part of it was just sort of how you're, you have this calming influence. And like, mm-hmm. okay, let's just look at this logically. And that was super helpful. So uh, thank you for that again. It kind of saved my, my Vegas trip that year. Oh, I'm glad. I'm, I'm happy to uh, have helped out in that regard. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't give you any of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's touch base. Let's just start kind of high level or wherever you want to start. But just what do you, what do you kind of just think of? What comes, what comes to mind right away when you first are kind of poised with this question of, you know, how do we play those small suited aces out of the blinds? You know, the ace three of diamonds, the ace four of clubs. What do you kind of go to right away when you start thinking about those sort of situations? Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind, I would say two things is what is the, well, if I'm facing a, a raise, I'm, I'm noting what position the raise is from, what my opponent, who my opponent is, if I know this opponent, and then also um, my stack depth, I think are some of the main con- considerations. Um, like someone raising under the gun who I've been playing with for hours, who feels, you know, fairly conservative is going to have a much tighter range than someone opening from the button, you know, who's a bigger stack, who's, you know, opening a standard button range. Um, those, those ranges are going to be vastly different. Um, and also I would say my strategy from the small blind and the big blind vary quite a bit. Um, you know, playing from the big blinds, your your pot odds are so much greater than playing from the small blind. So I'm incentivized, in my opinion, to, to call a lot more with suited aces from the big blinds. Whereas the small blind, um, you're not you're not getting as good of a price to to call a raise and see flops. So I'm more incentivized to either three better fold from the small blind. Um, is kind of the approach that I take. Um, but yeah, in just talking general strategy, I think position is huge. Like if I'm facing a raise, where's my opponent seated relative to me? Um, cause that should in theory affect their opening range quite a bit. And then what, what is the stack depth of my opponent? What are their tendencies? Are they loose? Are they tight? Um, do they, do they fold a lot to three bets? Have I seen that? Um, and how do they play post-flop? I mean, there's a lot of considerations, obviously, in, in a question like this. Uh, but I think some of the main ones are that the position um, and chip stack depth and, and how tight or loose my opponent is. So, you know, if you think about those three things, so position of your opponent, the opponent characteristics themselves, and then stack depth, you know, as I look at it, so the position that they're raising from and the type of player that they are, those are clearly things that are going to inform what I think their range is. Mm-hmm. Now, when you start talking about stack depth, are you using stack depth to help formulate 
what you think their range is? Or is that more thinking about, you know, what potential fold equity do I have? Or how big could this pot get? Or do they have me covered? Like, you know, where does that, how does that factor into the decision? I mean, when I talk about stack depth, I'm mainly focusing on my own. Um, because my, I, I think uh, in general, people, unless they're short stacked, like say, you know, zero to 15, I'll consider short stack like zero to 15 big blinds. Um, I think they're like, you know, a lot of people are either min raising or shoving those stacks. Um, and so when it comes to like <clears throat> decisions from the small blind or big blind in that spot, I'm going to be fairly um, like tight from the small blind facing either a min raise or a shove from a, from a short stack because of the fact that there's not a lot of post-flop play, like there's not going to be a lot happening post-flop. So if I have a small suited ace, you know, I'm looking to, especially from the small blinds, I'm looking to steal that pot a lot um, because I, you know, I've blocked some good hands and I don't have great odds just to come along to see a flop. Um, but if it's a short stack opening up in an early position, their range should be very tight. Um, so that's going to have a big impact. You know, if it's a big stack and they're loose and they're splashing chips around, that definitely affects how I view their play style and their range. Uh, but when it comes to my own chip stack depth, um, if I have that range of like zero to 15 big blinds, especially from the small blind, I'm going to be either looking to fold or shove. Um, from the big blind, I think I can get away with calling some raises, even with like a, you know, 12 to 15 big blind stack and looking at post slot, but mostly with a short stack, I'm just going to be looking to shove or fold. Um, kind of, that kind of varies depending on my opponent and how I feel they play post slot. If they're a better player and, you know, they're aggressive post flop, I'm going to be looking to just shove or fold those hands pre-flop. Um, because I don't want to play out of position against a good player and just, you know, have to fold up, fold a lot of my equity. And, um, and I think with, uh, you know, medium stacks, like, you know, let's say like 15 to 30 big blinds, I'm going to be looking to play somewhat tight out of the blinds um, because I don't have a lot of wiggle room. I don't have you know, when, when I think about a big stack playing from the blinds, having that maneuverability to continue post-flop, to, to make some creative plays, to see turns and rivers, um, and to have the chips to do that makes a big impact on how I'm, you know, on those spots pre-flop. Um, so I would say in general with shorter chip stacks, I'm looking to be... Um, in a mindset of either folding, conserving my chips, maybe calling a small raised preflop, or just shoving and getting the chips in. And then with larger stacks, I'm more comfortable seeing flops because I know I'm not gonna be pressured as much and I'm gonna be able to see turns and rivers um, because of the stack depth that I have. And so how much do you consider like your, your opponents or your skill edge in those spots like that? Let's say you have enough blinds, whatever there's 40, 50, 60 or more where you feel like you have maneuverability and you have, you're facing a you know, middle position raise and you're thinking, okay, this is kind of an actually good, pretty good spot here for me just to flat. 
and to you know kind of use my my post flop skill advantage. Do you make that decision though? I mean, is that just sort of like, well, this is the spot I, I flat with ace four diamonds here. This is just what I do in general. Or are you at that point sort of sizing up your opponent that you're going to be up against? Like, okay, is it you know is it Steve Fredland or is it Kuvang? I mean, are you sort of are you thinking those sorts of things to decide if you're going to call or if you're going to fold or if you're going to three bet or how, how does that factor in? Assuming you know that the same size applies, same stack size applies, and everything. Sure, I think my my strategy, especially pre flop, is fairly. Um, it doesn't vary a whole lot based on my opponent. Um, I would say from the big blinds, like I said, I think my small blind and big blind strategy vary quite a bit. So if we're just right. specifically talking about being in the big blind, yeah, um, I would say that I'm looking to um, to call a lot of my suited aces and just see flops. I think even verse um, even versus like a button open. I think. Um, I, you know, I'm looking to call a lot of like, even like ace 10 suited and worse suited aces, just call a C post flop. I'm probably three betting like, you know, ace track suited plus, um, and maybe like ace five suited or, you know, one of those really small suited ace hands. If, if I'm thinking that, um, you know, I can, I can take advantage of my opponent a little bit more. I might, I might throw in more raises. But I think in general, I'm looking just to play a lot of those suited aces post flop um, because I think you, you know you can get pretty creative and there's there's some you know um, there's some creative plays that you can make a lot of bluff combinations you know that you can pull off post flop if you have a reasonable chip stack and you know regardless regardless of my opponent I think um, I'm going to be defending any suited ace from any position raise if I'm in the big blind, if I have a reasonable chip stack and then look to kind of maneuver post flop. And, and, and then I think the strength of my opponent will vary how I play post flop quite a bit. Um, you know, if, if my opponent's tendencies are to, you know, see bet every flop, I might be looking to throw in more check raises on the flop. If my opponent plays really straightforward and, and checks back their weak hands and bets their strong hands, I'm going to be check folding, um, you know, more flops if facing a bet, um, you know. So, so I think post-flop tendencies come into play quite a bit and, and strength of my opponent comes in quite a bit post-flop, but I think pre-flop, my, my strategy is fairly universal. Um, it doesn't vary a whole lot. Um, yeah. Uh, Chris, did you have something? Yeah, I was wondering about that strategy from the big blind. Um, I'm kind of of two minds, and I'm curious what you're thinking is. When this gets multi-way, um, it seems to be, you know, like if you have a early position open and then a cutoff call, um, and then maybe you're going two-way or even three-way, maybe they got a button call too, and now you're in the big blind with ace four diamonds. It feels like there's like, it's also, it's a really great, time to think about squeezing but it's also you're getting a lot of great odds and it's a hand that can flop a lot of different ways really strong so i'm kind of curious what what you're if you're thinking changes at all if it gets multi-way um that's a great question i think in general that's not going to change my my strategy with suited aces very much like i'm probably still going to be looking to call a lot of those 
a lot of those suited aces. For me, I think when I think of multi-weight hands, I want to try to avoid hands I feel like are going to be dominated a lot um, and get me in trouble a lot post-flop. Granted, that's true with some smaller suited aces. You know, we could be we could be up against better aces quite often. Um, but I would be more wary of hands like, you know, queen jack off and queen 10 off and king 10 off, you know, hands that can get really dicey post-flop and we're never really that confident in our hand. If we have suited aces, you know, we have the nut flush draws, you know, we have some Broadway draws or some, you know, wheel draws and we have, we make more, um, we make more nutted hands. And with that playing multi-way, um, we can feel a little bit more comfortable playing against multiple opponents, in my opinion. Um, and the thing with squeezing, um, I, I think we can consider that, especially with like, you know, ace-10 suited plus and, and maybe throw in like one small, like maybe ace-5 suited. Um, but the problem is we really have to inflate the pot quite a bit um, to, to fold out all of our opponents. And that's really what we're going to be looking to do with squeezing. Um, cause we don't want to play a bloated pot out of position with a weak suited ace. Um, so if we want to take that preflop, I think we can consider that if, if we feel our opponents kind of messing around the original razor, if we think his range is wide and we think the, the people behind him that just flatted, you know, if that's all fairly straightforward in our heads, I think we can squeeze more. But I would, in general, be a little bit wary of, of trying that because of the fact that it's so hard to get everyone to fold um, and, to, and to play post-flop when they do call um, and we just bloated the pot and we're out of position. That, that can become a nightmare pretty quickly. Um, so, so I think in general, in multi-wave pots, I, I kind of keep my strategy the same um, and probably tighten up. I actually probably have a tighter raising range, three betting range when it's multi-way um, than I do when it's just heads up, simply because I'm more concerned of playing out of position. Um, yeah, if that answers your question. Rob, did you have something? Yeah, just uh, an observation. It seems like your strategy for the small suited aces out of the big blind very similar to what you might use uh, do with small pocket pairs. It's almost like you're, you know, in a small pocket pairs, you might call in those situations, do some set mining. In this case, it's a small suited ace. So again, you're calling to potentially flush mine, I guess you could say. You don't want to get, you don't really want to see that ace die flop necessarily, but you'd like to see a couple of uh, the same suit as your suited ace is—is is that kind of what it is? Uh, I think, in a way, I, I think I see what you're saying. Um, I think suited aces, even small suited aces, have quite a bit more playability than those smaller pocket pairs um, because you know if if I see an ace high flop, I'm actually I'm pretty happy about that. You know, there are times where where we're going to have to navigate post-flop against a better ace. Um, but in general, if my opponent, especially a later position open, um, they're going to have a much wider range than just aces. Um, I think I would be much more concerned. That's where position is key for me, because if my opponent opens up under the gun, 
and I defend the suited ace and the flop comes ace high and I check and he bets, I'm much more wary, I would say, of navigating post-flop than if it folds to the button, he opens, I call, and it comes ace high. I'm much more confident I have the best hand if I check and he bets um, because he's supposed to be betting those ace high flops. Um, and his range is much wider than that under the gun open range. Um, so, so I think, I mean, yes, it can get a little dicey, um, but I, I'm pretty confident in, in playing post-flop if I hit an ace. Um, and yeah, flush draws are great. Um, and we are looking, obviously, the, the best case scenario is to hit that nut flush and, and not have to worry about better hands. Um, and we are going to be playing post-flop in some dicey spots. But I think, uh, you know, the, 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 the wariness and the cautiousness of, of those ace-high flops, and, and I think that's a great question. I think that brings up a good point. I think a lot of people um, don't really know how to, how to play those hands post-flop when we catch an ace, and, you know, are we worried about them having a better ace? I think position of the pre-flop raiser is something to really keep in mind. Um, in regards to that and just keep in mind that if we're facing an under the gun early position raise against you know a, a fairly standard opponent or a slightly tighter opponent um, give them a lot more credit to have that ace than than a button open or cutoff open who should have a much wider range and will be looking to bet those ace high flops so in general you're, you're saying you know I, I like when you said that they're supposed to be betting those ace high flops um, you know, and I think that's, that's one of the things that comes into at least my mind. And I think a lot of recreational players is, okay, yeah, we call with the, the small ACE, we hit the ACE, we check, they bet. And now I'm just completely uncomfortable. I suppose I have to call once to see what happens. And then they're going to barrel again on the turn because they sense my weakness and then I'm going to fold. And now I've just lost 10 big blinds when I could have just folded pre You know, I'm just like, these are the things that sort of go through our minds. And so, you know, you, maybe you can address that, but also just even address this, this notion of, if I don't have the experience or if I'm not as comfortable playing post-flop as clearly you are and some of the people that have much more experience are, should, should, that, should that lead me more toward folding these small suited aces out of the blinds or should it lead me more toward three betting and trying to pick up pots pre-flop or should I just be learning how to play these? I mean, is that, that's part of building the experience. So kind of both of those spots, maybe it's a long loaded question, but part of it is, you know, if I'm, if I'm less comfortable post-flop, should that change my strategy? And then what about when I do hit the ace and they're continuing to show aggression? Uh, what are some, some strategies to counteract that? Yeah, I mean, uh, those are some great questions. I think my initial response is if you're uncomfortable playing post-flop out of position, I would be looking to tighten my range a little bit. Um, Perhaps if I'm in the small blind, fold out a lot of those weaker suited aces and just not even, you know, especially against early position opens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, think, I think it's fairly a, a fairly good strategy out of the small blind to just raise or fold um, all of your range, if, especially if you're more uncomfortable and just have like a tighter range and just raise or fold. Um, and out of the big blinds, you know, you know, I would still encourage um, against the standard open, unless there's a lot of craziness happening pre-flop. Um, I, I don't think I would fold any suited ace 
Um, and, I, and I probably wouldn't three bet a lot either, even if you are uncomfortable playing post slot. Um, I, I think to keep in mind um, the the strength of our opponent. Like the other thing too is if if we're against a tough opponent, um, we we really don't want to three bet a lot because if they're good enough, they're probably going to be calling a lot, and we're going to see bloated plot flops, you know, or or bloated pots. I'm sorry, um, and have to play those out of position, and that feels even worse than. <laughs> and open and, and navigating post-flop when we hit an ace and we're not sure. So I think that's my initial reaction is I wouldn't, I, again, I would, I, would, I would be cautious about, about three betting, especially from the big blind. Um, I think from the small blind, it's fine to be selective and just decide to, to fold out or, or three bet. Um, so that's kind of the way I would split the small blind and big blind strategy. Um, and then as far as facing multiple barrels, you know, that, that gets into the intricacies and, right. and the difficulty of, of poker in general, especially versus good opponents. Um, you know, how do we navigate those spots where we, we check call the flop and, and we check the turn and they're barreling, you know, half pot or two thirds pot, like those become really tough spots. Um, and I think key things to keep in mind are what, what do we perceive our opponent's ranges? Um, so by that, I mean, what do we think uh, their value hands are? What do we think their bluff, their bluffs are? And do we think there's enough bluffs in his range to keep check calling? Or do we think the board... So, for example, if the board is, um, you know, if we face an early position open and we have ace three of diamonds from the big blind... And we defend, and the flop comes ace, 10, 9 with two hearts. And we check, and he bets. We're obligated to just check call. I don't think check raising makes any sense. Um, we just check call. We have top pair, not a whole lot else going on. There's, there's a lot of, you know, there's heart draw, there's straight draws. There's a lot of bluff combos that he can have, even from an early position open. And if we check call and the flop is the deuce of spades, we check and he bets hefty on the turn. Again, I don't think we can get away from this hand if he has enough, you know, if he's good enough to have those bluffs to keep barreling with. Whereas if the flop on the other hand, you know, same scenario, same opponent, flop comes ace, 10, deuce, rainbow, we check, he bets, we call, turn let's say is like a, a six or five you know some other and it's no flush draw no straight draw and he barrels big on the turn we should be a lot more concerned especially against an early position open about what he might have because i think his bluff combos are a lot less and and so we should consider check folding the turn a lot more often when there's not as much you know when the board is drier there's not as many bluffs that we can find him having and um, unless he's uh, a very, very aggressive opponent and, and, you know, we think he's capable of barreling um, just with a lot of nonsense, I think we can, you know, feel pretty comfortable check folding those types of spots. Um, but I think it's tough, you know, navigating those turns and rivers um, with, with, you know, just single pairs, weak kickers are, are really tough spots. 
but I think the key things to keep in mind is a what is my what is my opponent like? Is he aggressive? Is he capable of bluffing? You know, is he capable of triple barreling? Um, and what's the board texture like? And what do I perceive my opponent's range to have? Um, and that's a lot of things to keep in mind. Um, but I would say in general, look for you know dry versus wet board textures. Um, and if it's dry, give your opponent more credit for a better hand. If it's wet, give your opponent more credit for more bluffs. I would say is kind of a, a a thing to keep in mind when you're navigating those spots. And so does a does a check raise ever come into play there when you actually hit the ace? I mean, it sounds like you know when you when you said kind of the ace ten nine with two hearts that doesn't make sense to check raise. You know, on a drier board where I hit an ace, I don't know if that makes sense to check raise because I want to give my opponent a little bit of rope. I mean, yeah. you know, where does a you know flopping top pair weak kicker, where does the check raise come into play there, if ever? Uh, honestly, I, I think very rarely it, it, it does in my mind. Um, I think those, to me, I kind of, I split my hands kind of post-flop into um, my very strong hands. Let's say like top pair, top kick, top kicker, two pair plus, you know, straight draw, flush draw, combination, you know, hands that either are very good or have a lot of equity. And then I have hands that are marginally good or very poor. And I'm just looking to either check call those hands or check fold those hands. And I think, you know, those, those aces, weak kicker type hands, no flush draw, you know, hands that are okay, don't feel great about, um, I'm just going to be looking to check all those hands because what we want to think about when we decide whether or not to check raise is what am I accomplishing by check raising? If the, if the flop comes ace, 10, nine with two hearts and I have ace, three of diamonds, what am I accomplishing by check raising? What hands am I folding out? Because so, essentially in my mind, if I'm check raising that hand, I'm turning my hand into a bluff. I'm trying to get my hand. I'm trying to get my opponent to fold out some better hand, which I don't think he ever would, um, because because if you're check raising for value, you're trying to get your opponent to call with a worse hand. And what worse hands is he really going to call with when we check raise that type of board? The only worse hands you might check call or he might continue with are hands that have a lot of equity against our hands, like mm -hmm. king. King Jack of Hearts, Queen Jack, you know, hands that he's like, okay, I'm going to see a turn. But then all of a sudden we put ourselves in a terrible spot on, on most turns. We just check raise the flop with, with an ace with a very weak kicker. That's a very marginal hand. Now we have to, now we bloated the pot again, have, you know, we got called, what do we do? And I think we, if we do that, if we check raise those types of hands, Think, think about what you're accomplishing and think about how, what's, what's your next course of action if your opponent calls. Because I think you put yourselves in a lot of tough spots. If you do, you know, check raise those types of hands, they call, all of a sudden, what are you doing on the turn? And I, think, yeah. I think you put yourself in tough spots. And in general, in poker, you want to avoid as many tough spots as possible. So as much as far as you can do to avoid putting yourself in those spots, I think the better. Um, so, so out of position, yeah, I think, I think I would, I would not have any check raises with those weak aces. You know, I think if it's ace ten nine and you decided to 
just come along or trap with like an ace king or an ace queen suited, then you can look to check raise those types of hands because it's a strong enough hand that you're looking to get some weaker aces and some, you know, maybe jacks through kings to come along. You know, hands like that where where you're more comfortable, you know, having your opponent call. And um, But those weaker aces, I would just play as check calls. Um, you know, in the rare scenario that, you know, maybe it's a ace 10-9 with two diamonds and you have the ace three of diamonds, all of a sudden that's a much better hand. And, but even that, you know, check calling to trap, if you hit a diamond, you know, can be pretty favorable too. So I think it's totally fine just to um, navigate those spots and just in general think of all those types of spots as check calls and kind of marginal hands. Um, and if you want to throw in some check raises, really think about what, what am I trying to accomplish by doing this and how am I going to navigate turns and rivers if I do check raise? Yep. And, you know, I hear people that they either they, they check raise and, you know, they, they explain the reason they did that is because, you know, the, they're afraid the opponent might have like a king jack on that ace, ten, nine of hearts. And they want them to fold because they're afraid of getting outdrawn. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's actually pretty – that's bad. I mean, and that's, that's something we don't want that to fold, right? We don't want king jack offsuit to fold there. Yeah, they might hit a queen, but we want them to hit a king or a jack, right? And that's – so, yeah. so your point is, you know, if you're check raising, you know, what better hands are going to get to fold? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's it's we want to have hands. We want to have strong enough hands that are that we just play as check calls yeah. all the way through the hand. And I think that type of hand, Ace Three of Diamonds on Ace Ten Nine, is is a perfect type of hand to do that. Okay, um, because we also want to give ourselves some other hands that we can play around with in those spots. And if we just check raise with like, hmm. you know top pair all of a sudden that that skews our range and and what check calls do we have are we just check calling now with like jack 10 and queen 10 um and what are we doing on turns and rivers and i think good opponents can pick up on our tendencies so if we don't have strong hands in our check call range that really allows our opponent to um to adjust their strategy and manipulate our very weak check call range if they know we're not doing that with our aces. Um, and, and as far as allowing our opponents to, to have bluffs, I think that's a really good thing. Like mm-hmm. we want our opponent to keep barreling King Queen and King Jack off. And, you know, we want them to barrel their, their gut shots. Um, and we want them to barrel their flush shots. Yeah, we can get some really terrible turns and rivers that we have to make some tough decisions on and we may have to fold and we may, you know, we may get bluffed off our hand every once in a while. If a scary turn or river card comes, our opponent takes advantage of that. Yeah. We might fold out the better hand. Um, but I think it's still, it's still worth it to, to navigate those, those tough spots. And, and sometimes we pick off triple double barrel bluffs, you know, um, and you know, let's say we, we check call is 10, nine, two hearts turn is a blank. It goes check, check. Sometimes river is a blank. It goes check our, our opponent barrels big. That's the spot where we're probably just going to have to call and maybe we pick off a bluff quite often there, you know, depending on our opponent. So I think that that's another thing to keep in mind is if, is if we don't have a lot of strong hands check calling, we're going to get we're going to get destroyed um, on turns and rivers by good opponents who know that we don't have those stronger hands. They can just, they can just bluff us, you know, 
until the cows come home and there's nothing we can do. We're just going to have to fold, fold, fold if we don't have those strong hands. Mm -hmm. Chris? Yeah, I was wanted to go back to the small blind situations we were talking about, um, especially uh, kind of the idea of three bedding or folding um, and really doing that with the hopes that uh, you kind of take it down right there. Um, but then there's always, you don't take it down and you get to a flop. Um, what are, what are, what is your strategy when you're out of position from the small blind, you've three bet this pot, bloated it up. Um, what is in those three situations you described where you've got the, you know, you, you, you nail the flop, you got that marginal hand or you just completely whiffed. Um, are you approaching your hand any differently or do you feel like since you've started that line of aggression, you just got to kind of carry forward? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think if we're talking specifically about, um, these smaller suited aces, essentially we're looking to take those spots down pre-flop with a, with a small blind squeeze. Um, and I'm probably really only doing this against like cutoff and button opens. I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to be throwing those in there against early position raises or not. Um, but essentially if, if, if I'm in the position of, I just squeezed from the small blind. My opponent came along. Now I'm now I'm playing this post flop out of position. I don't want to get myself stuck in a mindset of I just have to keep barreling just because just because I raised just just because that three bet pre flop doesn't mean I have to continue every single post flop board. You know, depending on the board texture. So so I think key things to to keep in mind are what what are favorable flops for a small blind three betting range you know is it coming ace high is it coming king high or is it like eight nine ten with with a flush draw out there you know those are hands that like it's very important to to keep in mind always be keeping in mind what what is my perceived range and and what is what am i perceiving my opponent's range to be Excuse me, and I think that's how you navigate those those decisions post flop the best way possible. And and I think especially as a as a newer player, as as a player who's just kind of developing these strategies, that's a really difficult thing to keep in mind. Um, but perhaps you know an easy way to think about it is just looking to um, you know even like if I three bet, you know, ace five of diamonds from the small blind against the button open and the flop comes like ace 10, four or something, I flop that top pair. I'm going to want to be continuing that because my small blind three betting range pre-flop contains a lot of high suited aces. Um, so those are hand, those are spots where I'm going to be wanting to continue with like all the time. Um, because that will allow me to continue with worse hands that I may elect to three that with and, and represent an ace. Um, so you kind of always want to be thinking about what hands do I have here? What bluffs do I have? What value hands do I have? Um, and just kind of like, and I think that that's something that develops over time. Um, and if you want to be more straightforward, if that gets pretty complex, um, I think you can just, like I was talking about earlier, look at what are my value hands here? What hands am I looking just to find, you know, just to see rivers with, keep pot small. And then I think there are spots where you're looking to um, kind of 
complement your value hands with some good bluff combos. So like if you have those you know, those suited aces and you flop plus draws and stuff, those are spots where you might want to consider um, throwing in some, you know, bluffs with, you know, some check raises with some continues and really put pressure on your opponents to, to balance out those hands where you flop sets or you flop two pairs. Um, so you really want to work in some good bluff combos with those value combos. And I think your bluffs should contain hands that have a lot of equity to them. So, you know, if you're looking to, and, and I think you can stretch that equity, you can stretch those bluff combos if you feel like you want to continue a lot. Like if you have a backdoor nut flush draw, if you have a backdoor, you know, straight or flush draw, or you have a gut shot, you know, you can kind of work in more bluff combos depending on how you feel your opponent, you know, continue ranges. If you think they're folding a lot, look to have more bluffs. If you think they're sticky and defend a lot and they're a good player, okay, you got caught. You don't have to be obligated to just punt off your stack because you feel like, you know, I, I think some people get in the, the, the mindset of like, oh, you know, I, I three dead, they defended, now I just have to barrel, barrel, barrel. Otherwise, you know, the, if I just check fold this flop, all of a sudden I'm, I'm just a terrible weak player. And like, I think people get caught in that mindset. And it's almost like an ego thing in, in some people's minds, I think. Like, oh, okay, I'm three bed here. I'm going to, you know, I got to win this pot. I think if you get stuck in that mindset, which I think some people do, you're going to end up punting tournaments and your buddies are going to ask you what happened. And you're going to be like, I don't know. It just happened. I just, it's just gone. I don't know what happened. You know? <laughs> so avoid those spots as much as possible. I think I elaborated quite a bit on that, but um, hopefully that, hopefully I didn't uh, derail that question too much. Yeah, that was really good. That was a really good one. Rob, did you have anything to add there? We're, we're almost out of time. So Rob and John, if you guys have anything to, to ask. Yeah, I was just going to say that that last statement that you made and that uh, last observation about, you know, mixing in the bluffs, maybe using the, your small suited aces and a small blind as a uh, to expand your range and add some more three bet bluffs. Really, really fantastic conversation. And then what you said, I think a lot of rec players, and you nailed it on the head, is once you do that, you feel like you're going to have you have to triple barrel, man. You have to do that. And I think that's the next level. I mean, any rec player that's listening, if they get into that mindset, you know, understand that you don't have to. You can fold, and that's actually looks stronger to your opponent than if you triple barrel off your stack with nothing. So, I mean, if you have the will to three bet, with a bluff and then fold out when you know you've got you know when when things turn sour that that's going to be more frightening to a good opponent than if you just triple barrel off with crap yeah, yeah. and i think that you know that that point of it's a trap that i can get into it's part of why i don't like to play out of position post-flop because of because of that because you just know a good player you know matt sitting behind you okay, he's going to call me pre-flop just because he's just floating me. He knows he can steal the spot later. So I'm going to see about this, and he just calls me again because he wants to see what I'm going to do on the turn, right? So, you know, if I give up, if I check the turn, he's going to bet, then what am I going to do? Then I'm going to fold, you know. I'll see so you just sort of get into this trap of I just got to keep coming because I know he's just floating me. I know he doesn't have anything. He's just floating. And so we get caught into these mind games, and maybe that's your point. We're overthinking that. Sometimes people actually have it. Sometimes they are floating. Sometimes you have to fold the best hand. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a trap. It's a very easy trap for me to fall into. 
Uh, and so I've tended to go down the road of instead of instead of improving my post flop play, I just play less out of position. See, uh, so I'm, but well, but you know, for for where I'm at in the game, but you know, <laughs> but but I think you know I can miss a lot of value by doing that as well. But that's that's one of those that's one of those issues that I run into. Uh, John, did you have anything before we let Matt go? Uh, I just think it's been a great conversation, um, and Matt answered everything so so thoroughly he didn't leave me any questions to ask <laughs> awesome i just want to make sure no you can't we can't see you so i can't see body language so i just wanted to make sure you had a chance and, and you guys can clearly see why i love talking to matt about poker and uh, very articulate very thoughtful uh you know i just i just appreciate you know the the ability you have to teach as well matt i know you do some teaching in your yeah. real job as well so uh, that certainly comes through here you have to you have to talk to us like you do your your after school kids <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, Matt. Anything else to add before we let you go? Uh, no, I just again, like I said at the beginning, uh, it's always a pleasure, you know, being on and being able to talk strategy, and you know, I, I really enjoy the conversation. So again, just thanks, thanks again for having me, and thinking of me. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Matt. Well, you can sign off. We're going to do some announcements. You're welcome to hang on. Uh, if you want, otherwise, just feel free to to jump off here at any point. But thanks again, man. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, just, a, yeah, a few announcements. I mean, that was fantastic. Um, I don't Anything else to add, you guys, at all after that conversation? I thought it was just fantastic. Nothing. All right. Um, so a few things. We'll just take a little bit more time with these announcements because I know I, I run through these announcements. People say, you talk too fast. I'm like, well... I know because I hate wasting time on announcements when I want to talk to Matt Hamilton, right? So, uh, so I kind of run through those quick at the beginning, but just uh, we'll take a breath and you guys can jump in here if you have anything. But uh, I guess the big news is we do have our membership site up and running. We've done sort of a soft launch on that. So uh, those of you who are in part of Discord and uh, some of the Facebook stuff, you're aware of that. For those of you who are listening uh, that aren't part of those communities, you might this might be news to you. Uh, so we have launched our membership site. Uh, we've partnered with uh, an app called Mighty Networks, and I think they do a great job of being able to build community and provide uh, ways to access content and those sorts of things. So our membership site is 10 bucks a month. Of course, they make you do $9.99. Just so you know, when you see $9.99, that wasn't my idea. I'm a very anti-$9.99 because my wife comes home and says, I got a shirt for 12 bucks. Well, it's $12.99, you know, so I'm anti that, but that's sort of how they have the default setting. So it's 10 bucks a month. Uh, and if you sign up now, you actually can get a free trial for one month. So I'm just encouraging everybody to go out there, check it out, get that free month, uh, see what you think, play around, ask questions, build community. Uh, we've already had some act activity out there, and I think it's going to be really exciting. Uh, we're starting to load the content out there. There's some that's already out there. Uh, I'm actually going back into our archives and some of the things that we've done before with Rec Poker where we've actually charged a fee for, uh, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever they are, I'm going to load those up as well. Uh, so great content out there already. And every week we're going to be putting two to three pieces of new content out there. So check that out. Uh, the, the, the link is it's recpoker.mn.co. So that's the direct link. I will have links to it everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, Discord. Uh, but if you want to get out there directly, recpoker.mn.co, and that'll get you there. Um, and it's, been, it's exciting. It's, it's really fun, you guys. So check that out. Um, I did mention, um, as much as it pains most of us here who are part of the show, uh, Taylor Moss did win the 28-person the home league. 
Uh, Chris is shaking his head. Rob, you got something to say there? No, I just, Jack put a, a thing out there oh. and asked if, uh, if he could pay for the whole year at one time. Is that an option? Um, I can look at that, Jack. I think yeah. I can set it up a couple of different ways. So that's a good question. Yeah, Go ahead. A lot of places will give you a discount if you sign up for the entire year. Let me look at that. I believe I can, Jack. I'm not sure if I did set it up that way. I know I set it up as $9.99. I will look. If I can do that, we will put a discount out there for an annual payment for sure, like at least a month off or something like that. Good point. I see Tristan wants a discount to $9.98. Tristan, if you (laughs) sign up to be a member and if you send me the bill every month, um, I will accumulate one penny per month and give to you when I see you. <laughs> Actually, I'll even, uh, I'll double that, Steve. I'll also give him a penny when I wow. see him. Wow. But he has, to, he has to like send the bill, you know, proof of payment every month. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Tristan, you could actually come up with a free uh, pre-membership out of this deal. <laughs> sick discount. Yeah, I know. That's a sick discount, Tristan. I know. <laughs> so good. But that's a really good point, Jack. I will look at that. And if the setting is not there, I'll do what I can uh, to make that setting available. Very good point. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, hopefully you guys know that I've listened long enough. I love Taylor Moss. He's a fantastic young guy, a fantastic young player. So we're just ribbing him about being distraught that he was the champion. I don't think it surprised anybody when he won the thing. He's a great player. And actually, if, if, if um, Taylor's actually leading a discussion this Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, uh, he's going to be breaking down some hand histories. So uh, last week, was it just last week already? So Chris Jones, who's on the show, he led us through some hand histories, looking at some videos, some ASEC suited stuff. Taylor's going to be breaking down some hands, uh, looking at playing against limpers. And I think he's going to be looking at his database of online things and look at some hands out of there. I'm not sure. A very analytical guy. Um, so I'm sure we'll get into some of the mathematics behind it. So uh, Taylor's a great player. We can learn a lot from him. So I would recommend uh, becoming uh, joining the conversation, 8 o'clock on Wednesday. It's right after we do the book study. So that's kind of a, a good segue. So we're starting the Andrew Brokus book study. Uh, if you want to be part of that deal, playing optimal poker. If you haven't read it, just come on the show and, you know, ask questions as we go. But uh, Wednesday night, 630 Central, we'll be doing the book study, uh, the intro in Chapter 1. 8 o'clock, Taylor's going to be breaking down some hands. We'll have some discussion around that deal. And then just a reminder, next Monday night, we do the podcast recording, and we're going to have John Sun on the show. Um, he's a two-time MSBT champion, a uh, very great guy. I think that'll be a wonderful show as well. And you guys, as of right now, everybody's welcome to, to jump in there and ask questions and that sort of thing. Um, just looking at the comments there. Let's see. Uh, I guess the other, just a reminder, stay plugged in. Uh, email list is probably the best way, but if you jump onto this community, if you become a member, um, you know, you'll be plugged in and you'll get notified every time new content is released. It also has the links to join all of these programs. So you can just link directly from that site as well. So hopefully all in one uh, for you to stay communicated with there. Uh, anything I'm missing on the, the chats here at all? Jack's getting a copy from Amazon. That's awesome. Uh, Jack, can you Kindle the phone? Uh, I'm not Tristan. I don't know if he's ripping on Jack there or what, but uh, he can. So you can get Kindle. So the book is available by Kindle, a PDF, a physical copy, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and I Tristan, bought my, I bought mine on Kindle, and uh, yeah, I'm up to about chapter five already. So awesome! Very, very, very good book. Very good book. Okay. And Tristan is being helpful. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's just telling Jack that you can Kindle to your phone. Yeah. Uh, Rob, I know you recommended the book. Cheyenne's going to be leading that discussion. Uh, he's definitely excited excited about this thing. 
And yeah, Tristan, we are going to upload this video tonight. So once we get off of here, uh, I'll do all my, my editing magic and we'll get this thing uploaded uh, tonight as well. All right. Let's see. Anything else um, that we miss? I know I need to thank Running Aces, who's our official sponsor. Thank them guys again. Uh, if you go in there, go talk to those guys. Talk to John, talk to Chris, talk to any of those guys. Just say thank you for for uh, for sponsoring the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, anything else, guys, that we're missing? I I just wanted to add that the uh, the home game that we had on Wednesday was a lot of fun. So make sure you sign up, get signed up for it by next month. And it was kind of a blast to play with people that you kind of sort of knew and you'll get to know everyone a little bit better over time. And it was a lot of fun. It really was a lot of fun. It was a lot of chatter. Uh, I kind of crushed John's soul early, but you recovered. I, f I flopped two pair with ace 10 against his ace king. So I kind of crushed him. But of course, John was resilient and came back. But, but that's part of the fun. Yeah, you're right. You get to know people over time. That's why we, we keep harping on the fact that this is a, an encouraging poker learning community. The idea is that we get to know each other, celebrate with each other, rip on each other, have a lot of fun. And that it, it really was fun. Even though Taylor won it, it was still fun. I appreciate John. John coordinated all of that. So thank you, John, for doing that. Yeah. yeah well, I, you uh, know, no one was surprised Taylor won, but also nobody really liked it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Poor Taylor. <laughs> well, I know he can take it. it. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's such a good player. You know, it was funny because uh, Monday I was talking to Dan Kennedy, who uh, he came in second or third, whatever second, it was. Second, yeah. Yeah, he came in second. And I was talking to him on Monday, and I tell him, God, you got to get in. You got to get in. And he said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. No, no, no. Well, then he shows up and comes in second place. So yeah. there you go. that's what I get for convincing somebody to join, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he told me that he worked with you, and I, I said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, dude. That's pretty rough. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was pretty great. Yeah, it's fun, fun to see that. And we're going to have, we're creating a little, we're figuring out this whole pins, trophies, awards sort of thing. We're going to have some sort of way to acknowledge um, different things that you're victorious on. So uh, just sort of a fun way to kind of, um, I don't know, sort of pr promote the brand, but also just have a little bit of fun with, with people that bink tournaments or uh, win home games or win our NFL survivor pool or whatever that might be. So we're going to have some Or Fredland. Or, or bust out me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We got to do that for the whole core team. I think we need little <laughs> little faces of all of us with a little X through it that you get yeah. when you knock us out or something. Yeah, if you collect I, all, all all of them, you get oh, a bonus. Or something. That's actually pretty good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> collect idea. all nine. It's like a bingo square. <laughs> or a, not a bingo square, a tic-tac-toe yeah. square or something. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So it's Rec Pokemon. Rec Pokemon? Oh, you got to collect yeah, all nine? you got to collect them all. <laughs> <laughs> we're full of great ideas here the creative juices are flowing all right guys well anything else before we uh sign off all right thanks guys we'll keep the content going keep the discussion going if you have any questions anybody out there any point in time reach out to me man i always tell people you know i don't know what i don't know uh, you got to tell me if there's any problems with anything or any encouragement or if you have any questions just steve at recpokertraining.com uh, I'm very responsive, so just reach out with any question you have, and I will uh, get back to you and let you know. But with that, uh, we will sign off. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cool. But, of course, I feel good about a lot of things, too. <laughs> I feel good about playing ace-three suited out of the blinds, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, now you do. Now that Matt's told us how to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't well, he good? He's Check raising when you hit, too, right? 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep, I've got it all figured out now. I should be three betting yeah. all the time versus under the gun razor. And if that doesn't, <laughs> and if that doesn't just, work, just barrel and barrel. barrel and barrel until it till they just give up. That was my key takeaway from that's that. That's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're making good progress here. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, hopefully, if you're able to join us Wednesday, otherwise, we'll we'll see you when we see you. But thanks for everything. All right. Take care. Good night. Good night, Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. guys.